This is the EWN Podcast Network. Today, we continue our conversation about the intricacies of cabinet design with kitchen and bath designer, Allison Solar. Cabinets are not just in your kitchen. They're in the bathroom, laundry room, and linen storage. Plus, they are used for built-ins in every room in the house. Stay tuned. Welcome to From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. When interior designer Jana Rosenblatt had an 80-foot tree fall on her house, she saw the opportunity to create the customized home of her dreams. From Disaster to Dream Home provides you with the information and resources Jana wished she had during her rebuilding process. Now she's sharing with you the expertise of leading architects and home builders and the newest products and materials on the market. Here's your host, Jana Rosenblatt. Welcome back, home builders and remodelers. In the last episode, we talked about the nuts and bolts of cabinetry, what they are made of, and the overall style of American-framed, European frameless, and contemporary pull-out cabinetry. Today, we will move on to talk about aesthetics, design style, form, and function. Our guest, Allison Solar, has been working in the kitchen and bathroom industry for more than 30 years. I first met Allison on Facebook, where she is the design expert behind a group called Kitchen and Bath Designer Group where designers are sharing ideas from across the country and the globe. Stay tuned until the end of the show when we speak to Allison again about her new Kitchen and Bath Design Academy, where experienced designers can enhance their skills and new designers can learn about the business of kitchen and bathroom design process. We are excited to have Allison back with us this week to take us through the fun part of kitchen design and cabinetry, what it will look like. Allison, when a client first comes into uh, to your showroom or to work with you, um, do they bring pictures and ideas of what they want the cabinetry to look like? Or are you the one that brings them through that process? Hi, Jenna. Uh, that's a great question. Um, pretty much it's a combination of the two. Um, some people will come prepared with their drawings, with some measurements, with some um, ideas. And other people won't because they don't know where to start. So you get a a mixture of the two type of clients, one who is prepared, the other one who is overwhelmed and has no idea where to start. Yeah. So you get the two. And as a professional, it's my job to wean out what they know and what they don't know. And that's done through a series of questions and, you know, show and tell kind of take Mm -hmm. them around the showroom or show them some pictures. And uh, really it is important for the customers to bring in pictures. And if they don't have pictures to start with, then I send them home with some homework to do to get Mm -hmm. some pictures and inspiration photos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Now, most of the aesthetics of the cabinetry is in the door style with custom and semi-custom cabinetry, you can choose from a catalog or design a custom-made door style. The options are almost limitless and the surface finishes are endless. How how does the selection of the door styles and molding details affect the look and feel of the cabinetry throughout the house? 
Well, that is the whole entire look and feel of the project is in the doors and the draw fronts. Um, I always say that it's form follows function as a kitchen design professional. It's really important me to, for me to design with function in mind, uh, not only to make the cabinets work well, make sure they open properly, make sure they're correctly, um, correct sizes, etc. But it's the door style and the overall look at the very last that is established through the color, the door style, the full overlay inset, that the whole style of this, the space is dictated by that alone. Mm -hmm. yeah. Not the construction of the cabinets, not the innards of the cabinets, but what it looks like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's what most designers are interested in is what it looks like where a kitchen design professional is gonna also talk to you about the quality of what you're purchasing. Mm -hmm. Now, the prices of different door styles vary because of the amount of wood used or materials used and the craftsmanship involved in making it. And so there are several different kinds of cabinet door styles. Can you explain the several most common construction methods and where we might use them? For example, um, a five-piece raised panel door in my neck of the woods is the most expensive because that raised panel is an extra amount of wood. It's, it's a heavier door. And I use them usually like for traditional or Mediterranean and sometimes transitional. Um, can you give me a little bit of a background in those in, in door styles? Well, the five piece door and drawer style is really a stick and cope design um, with styles and rails, styles going horizontal, uh, vertical Vertically. and rails going horizontal. Mm -hmm. um, and the center panel, usually, well, the styles and rails, the four parts of the five part door and draw front are solid woods. Mm -hmm. They are going to make, be made from a solid piece of wood that is, and solid woods come in anywhere from three quarters of an inch up to eight to 12 inches wide. Mm -hmm. So the door frame is solid wood and the center panels are where the money is different. Uh -huh. uh, that's where the money comes in. What makes one door style more expensive than the other? Uh, for what you're talking about is a raised center panel mm -hmm. and a raised center panel is usually a, a thicker center panel, uh, three eighths to three quarters of an inch. Um, and that center panel, just because it's raised, does not mean it's a solid wood center panel. Mm -hmm. It means it's just thicker and it has it raises up. You can have raised center panels that are made from a veneer. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, but the difference is the, the the reason it's expensive is because it's solid wood mm -hmm. and it could be like usually you could tell the solid center panel is like three pieces of wood um, rabbited and glued and made together to make a panel of solid wood. Yeah. And then also you can't be fooled because some flat panel center panel doors are reversed raised which means that if you open up the door, you'll see that detail of a raised panel behind the door. A less expensive panel or an exotic veneer may have a quarter inch flat center panel. And the difference is 
a, a door style with a quarter inch center panel is much lighter than a door with a, a reversed raised or a raised center panel. Mm -hmm. So you're really going to get that in when you're going to notice that when the cabinet doors are tall, mm -hmm. like if you have 36 to 48 inches doors, uh -huh. you really want that solid center panel to give the door heft and um, durability uh -huh. over time. So can you, uh, what would, if we wanted to have um, the sort of, I, I think of it as a fancier door when it's a five piece with a raised panel. Um, if we want to do that in, and have it painted, uh, is there a paint grade version of that? Would it still be framed in wood? <clears throat> it framed in wood and it could be a combination of framed in wood with an MDF medium density fiberboard center panel or a solid wood center panel. Mm -hmm. um, the Or it could be a completely MDF door, medium density fiberboard, because right. it's going to be painted. Right. Uh, we talked about this earlier in one of our early episodes about how the painting is much more stable mm -hmm. on an medium density fiberboard because there is no wood grain to expand and contract and expand and contract. It's a combination right. of right. resins and woods and, and it's much more stable. So, and it's also extremely flat mm -hmm. and, and not, you know, just, you're going to get a great finish on an MDF door. However, it is MDF and it's heavy. Uh, uh -huh, right. It's a heavier door style. Uh -huh. So you'll get, companies that are custom high-end custom and they say oh we only make mdf doors and people go well i want wood i want wood i want wood well it's not necessarily that it's not wood it has different properties which are different for painting uh -huh. than for staining and finishing and things like that so for painting it could be a solid wood panel made of like paint grade um maple it's a paint grade maple or it could be out of the medium density fiberboard. So uh -huh. there's uh -huh. the, usually the two different options when you're talking right. about um, painted. So purposes. even in that one door style, there's a price range, you know, of, of middle, higher and lower. And it's really important to keep asking questions um, unless money is no object. And that's nice when that happens, um, you know, in order to get the kitchen priced right for the client, you choose, you kind of go for the look of what you're looking for, but you're going to ask a lot of questions about what it's made of and what you can do to make it, you know, more affordable. And um, all of those questions apply even in that one door style. Absolutely. The yeah. one door style and the door style, if it's in maple, it's one color. If it's in oak, it's one price. If it's in maple, one price, oak, another price, hickory, another price, cherry, another price. So that one door style has many different price points yeah. based on the wood and exactly, the detail yeah. in the door. Mm -hmm. So then the five piece flat panel um, is uh, a little bit simpler. It tends to bring you into a slightly less expensive range of options, but still there's a range. Um, so tell us a little bit about where you might use the five-piece flat panel. Five-piece flat, I can't even say it. <laughs> five-piece <laughs> flat panel. panel. <laughs> say that 10 times fast. Yes, I don't think so. <laughs> five-piece flat, flat panel. panel is um now what was the question <laughs> well, i use it in transitional homes and i use it for craftsmen and sometimes country homes because it's a little bit having not having that raised panel makes it a little bit simpler so can you just tell us a little bit about what you what you like about it or where you might use it 
the flat center panel door that that's considered a shaker style. Uh -huh. People will say it's a shaker door, although shaker just means it's really square. Uh -huh. the, the the styles and rails are cut on a 90 degree angle. You have really sharp edges. Uh -huh. So that um, shaker style has come a long way because of the way they modify the styles and rails. So I feel that that style, a flat center panel door, uh, whether it's with um, a shaker style, a wide style and rails, it can be tr anything because if you take that, that flat center panel door and, you know, five piece flat pan, fat, blah, <laughs> <laughs> let's throw it together. Five, five piece, piece flat, flat panel, panel door. <laughs> um, we could just call it shaker. Yeah. And if you just change the edges on the inside That's edge right. a little bit to be a little OG or a little yeah. bevel or a wide bevel, it changes the whole overlook over overall style of the door. And yeah. if you do that door inset or do you do it overlay, uh, it's such a nondescript door at times. You yeah. can put whatever hardware you want on it and make it to be, if you put more ornate crown molding, if you put mm -hmm. or a simple crown molding. So the door style can become whatever it, you want it to become because it's so simple uh -huh. as opposed to that raised center panel with like an applied molding, right. which is much more heavy with much more ornate and much more traditional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I often use um, a, a flat panel door. That's a little bit of an adaptation of the shaker door with a bevel instead of that really crisp um, right angle line and, and other things that modify a little bit because I find for me, the shaker door as we know it, which is really crisp um, right angles and a really tight line, first of all, is hard to keep clean on that yes. edge, makes me crazy. And also I find that people find, think that it's synonymous with a quote unquote white kitchen, like needs to be these shaker doors. And that's true if I'm like you redoing a, a house from the 1900s to the 30s, where you want it to be almost... Um, a replica of what they would have had if you're really restyle, you know, using the original style. But now for more contemporary homes and for anything mid-century, I find that that the overuse of the shaker door style, you know, kind of makes me insane. Uh, how do you feel about that? And of course, it doesn't have to be white. They can be stained or painted any color. How, how do you really feel about the shaker door? I feel that it I feel that's what the consumers want right now. That's what they yeah. see. That's what they want. That's what the styles are. It's simplicity. I've said this before, when we go through tough times in economy and society, the designs become very simple and less is more. So uh -huh. Where there were in the 2000s and the early 1900s, there was a uh, 1900s, 1990s, there was a lot of money. And at some point, and everybody wanted like everything in the kitchen. Now they they don't want as so much as embellishments as much as they want the appliances. Yeah, that's right. So there, yeah. I think that shaker door 
came into play because it's less expensive. Yeah. It's a less expensive door than a full over than a full overlay raised center panel with an applied molding. Uh It's half the price. Yeah, that's right. So I think it's a, it's a transition from the money standpoint and style standpoint. And basically consumers will buy whatever you talk them into buying because the consumers don't really know. And if you are a really good salesperson, you could sell anybody anything. So, you know, then you get into that flat, flat panel door. So that's exactly where I want to go next. So talk about flat, flat panel, slab doors. The slab doors um, have come so far as far as materials go uh-huh. and ingenuity of creating them that the edge banding on the door is much more sturdy than 30 years ago. Um, you're getting the beautiful vinyl veneers that look like real wood. You're getting, you, with a flat slab door, you can see if you have a veneer cut, like a um, ribbon mahogany or something like that, or a zebra wood or something with a veneer. You're giving you're me gonna, chills. You're going to get fabulous, fabulous graining yeah. on this wood. Uh-huh where there's no detail on the door because it's all about the wood. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> or in some nice. cases, the lacquer, the flat panel lacquer is coming back too, but it's also the different lacquer than it was years ago. Right. Exactly. The yeah, lacquer is get beautiful, you know, solid tones with a, a medium sheen that just look like, you know, ice and they, they can be very, very beautiful. And I, I would use them almost anywhere now, but certainly for mid-century or uh, more contemporary homes. But anywhere someone wants a clean line, um, you can absolutely now do some beautiful flat slab doors. And they're not necessarily always the least expensive because it really depends on how they're made. So there too, there's a range. If you're going to paint it and you do it in MDF, it's going to be a lot less expensive than if you're going to use the beauty of the grain of the wood, depending on the wood, it's going to be more or less expensive. Yes, like a mahogany door in solid wood is ex- expensive versus a veneer wood. So, yeah. and it's also a different grain, a different cut. A veneer shows you a different cut of the wood. And that's what typically slab doors are made from, although it can be made from solid woods where you would see the solid wood. And again, you get into that solid woods being three inches wide and you'll see Actually, if you look at that door closely, you have to look at it closely, you will see the seams between each panel of wood that was glued together to make a slab door. So when you start talking about all these little tiny intricacies, people are like, what the heck are you talking about? Exactly. And that leads me to my next intricacy, which is the combination of five piece door fronts with flat drawers. Um, you know, the top drawer across the board in a kitchen or a bathroom or somewhere where you want um, particularly, you know, uh, particular storage is a six inch drawer usually, but then they get bigger as they get lower or sometimes you have a drawer, you know, up to 14 inches. And um, where do you employ the, the combination? The flat panel drawer front, again, it always comes down to money. Yeah. The flat panel drawer is usually no charge. 
you'll find it as the standard with that door. Uh-huh. If you want that five piece matching door draw style to the door and the draw to match, that's an upgrade. Right. Primarily. Yeah. So again, it comes down to the price, not only what the customer wants, but to the price. If you go, if price conscious, you go with a flat door, draw front everywhere, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars. If you want that richer, more traditional um, style draw matching door and draw front, it's going to cost you more money. And that's why people... They say to me, how's my kitchen going to look? And I, and I tell them, honestly, it's about what your budget is because that's always the deciding factor of whether you want that flat slab drawer or you want that ray, the, the raised center panel or a matching a five-piece drawer style. So the slab is definitely more of a contemporary look, mm-hmm. more of a, uh, it could be traditional, but it's a simple look. And it's also no charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would just suggest that people start to keep their eyes open for, for places where the combination of, of, of the five piece door panels for, or, and larger drawers are, are, you know, one thing. And then the flat panels are mixed with them. It's much more common. Like every time I bring it up to a client, they're like, can you do that? And I'm like, yes. So then all of a sudden you notice it everywhere. And so I usually have to bring some research and show them, but it's definitely, you know, in a, in a sort of cottage style home or something like that, that combination can be employed as a style, which is also going to save some money. Mm -hmm. So as a money saving feature, most track homes in the uh, forties through nineties included a soffit above the kitchen cabinetry so that the cabinetry uppers themselves would only be 32 to 42 inches tall, depending on the height of the ceiling. And this utilized uh, the, you know, the, the primary reachable storage. And also the area above was used for venting and air conditioning and things like that. Now that look is out of fashion and most of the kitchens that I'm renovating as well as new kitchens uh, we're going all the way up to the ceiling with our cabinetry, even if the, ca- the, the height of the kitchen is eight foot, nine foot, or even higher. I have a lot of 10 foot kitchens now, creating a lot of space that's either display or storage of stuff that you only need once a year. And like you can use a ladder to reach like your Christmas um, dishes or something like that. Um, when in recent years did you see this transition from the soffit above the cabinetry to the floor to ceiling cabinetry begin? Actually, it's been through my whole entire career. Oh, really? Taking out that soffit, uh-huh. but it's it's an exploration of the soffit, I yes. call it. Yes. <laughs> because before you commit to taking that out, you have to poke holes in it and see what's really in there. Because it could be a plumbing stack. It could be the P-trap from the tub. It could be the toilet line. It could be, like you said, the HVAC line. So the 30-inch upper cabinets have gone by the wayside ever ever since I've designed. I can't... Uh The only time I keep the soffit is when someone's not really doing anything, when they're just kind of fixing things up and they don't want to do any construction. Uh Otherwise, everybody's like, take that out, take that out. Right. And 
you know, a 30 inch standard cabinet height, which is typically for an eight, it's a 96 inches cabin, a ceiling height, Uh 12 inches soffit, and then 84 inches high for cabinetry. So that really limits the storage in the 30 inches high to only really two shelves. Uh You get two nice shelves and then you get a silly little shelf up on top. So I've taken out that soffit more than I've kept it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have too. And in new construction, no one is creating soffits there anymore. I mean, you really do have that huge open space, which again, uh, what are the average ceiling heights in your new construction projects these days? Here in the Northeast, I'd say we're going to nine foot. Uh Although I do see across the country and in some larger homes, 10 foot ceilings. Um, But definitely when people are renovating here, if they're even putting on a dormer or something like that, they will raise everything up to that nine feet. Yeah, exactly. So that is becoming a popular ceiling height, nine feet to 10 feet. Yeah, I think nine feet is is the, is the average across the country right now. We are here in California in larger homes. It's going up. I mean, I've had to talk people down from 12 feet um, ceilings where they have a great room and it comes across into the kitchen. I mean, at which point I use these giant room um, moldings, these big cold moldings. Yeah, I love that. The gap. Yeah, but um, yeah, so that is a challenge. And in those upper areas that you know no one can reach, do you prefer to make them, you know, deeper storage or do you prefer to put glass doors and maybe light them or what are your current trends? I find people are wanting to keep it open Mm -hmm. and have them lit for decoration. Yes. That they're not really thinking of it as so much of as more storage, yeah. Yeah. but more as a decoration, mm-hmm. open, lit, put up crystal or glasses. It's really because it's, let's face how hard it is to get up to a cabinet that's above eight feet and high, yeah, exactly. you know, that you're going mean, to need a ladder. Yeah, you're going to exactly. need some kind of assistance to get up to it. Although you do have, I have seen it where people put a wall of cabinets and they'll actually put like a library, uh, library um, ladder, ladder, yeah, Yeah. to go Um, across. That can be really, really fun. If you have the floor space for it, um, yeah, that can be really fun. I have a couple of pieces, I think, on my website still that have library ladders. That's, that's always a fun trend, you know, option. And it's interesting because you have to make it work. People realize don't realize you have to actually make it integrate with the cabinetry. You oh, have yeah. to hide the rolling thing. You know, yeah. it's not like, oh, just put a ladder there. Yeah, and you need the floor space. Or I've actually right. made them where the ladder hooks onto the wall um, to the uh, side of the cabinetry and it's like a little piece of art and then you pick it up and you and it's pretty light and you put it onto the hook and, right? You know, wherever you want it. But yeah, there. that's a whole show about those traveling library ladders that we could do. (laughs) Um, Now the top molding detail um, will push the kitchen design into one style or another. And of course the height of the ceiling makes the scale of that change. Um, The crown molding is most often more traditional or transitional and works well with many different architectural styles. What are some of the options uh, for the top detail in a more contemporary or mid-century home? Or, you know, what are the different things we can do with that molding? I've actually seen a lot of kitchens with no molding. Yeah, I'm starting to too. They're leaving that top molding off. 
So I think it should, I don't think it should just end at a door. I think even if you want to have like a solid stock, if it's a very contemporary look, and even if you put like a two inch Chunk. solid stock at the top and uh -huh. two inch solid stock at the bottom, just to kind of cap it off. Yeah. I don't know whether that's because I'm used to doing two piece crown, three piece crown. I mean, yeah. filling up the crown like crazy or I, I just, I personally don't like that where it ends. So that's what I'm seeing is a lot of them just not using any crown or using a very simple shaker crown mm -hmm. and um, eliminating that ornate crown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I, yeah. No, that's a, a trend. I'm a seeing. shaker crown is probably, it is usually just a, a simple straight edge um, diagonal that goes yep. from the cabinet to the top. Yeah. Which can be very, very nice and elegant and not fungapach. You know that word? The who? Fungapach. Yeah. That's Yiddish for too much. If, if the word sounds like uh, too much, that's what it is. So uh, that's say a nice it. choice. Say it Ungapach. again. Ungapach. 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 That's a good word for you. <laughs> um, so another molding detail in the kitchen, laundry, and linen areas, and some built-ins, is under the front edge of the cabinet, up the upper cabinets, called the light rail, and it's used to hide the under cabinet lighting. We will um, do a whole episode on lighting throughout the home, but while we're considering the cabinetry and molding details, what are the options for the task lighting that we can put under the cabinets to light the countertop workspace? Years ago, people never had the light underneath the cabinet and it was an option. Basically, when you were going to do your kitchen, it was like, well, you're going to add a light underneath there, but people never had it. So they were like, oh, I am. But now everybody has to have the light underneath yeah. there. So the light rail um, hides the light fixture itself. Mm -hmm. However, the light rails used to be two inches, inch mm -hmm. and a half, where now we're getting into the LED lighting, so super which steamy. is minimal. You could take like a piece of tape, it could tape yeah. on. So because the light fixtures themselves are becoming thinner and thinner and thinner, you don't have to have as much of that light rail. Mm -hmm. And nowadays with certain brands, they're even integrating the lighting underneath the cabinet, mm -hmm. inside the cabinet. The wire, the, the cabinet comes all wired up to, to yeah. light up the inside and the outside. So yeah. we, you do have, I think that the old style puck lights that were underneath there uh -huh. are gone yeah. because they have hot spots. Yeah. Um, your fluorescent under tube is just passe. Which is a good um, thing. You know, it's, it's just fallen out of fashion and perhaps, but it would be used for a less expensive, a fluorescent light fixture is going to be less expensive than an LED light fixture. Mm -hmm. So but the LED light fixture will never have to be changed. I mean, things can happen and you might have to change it, but the light is going to last and you never have to change a bulb. There's so much more you could do with an LED lighting system now than you could ever possibly do with an incandescent lighting system. Mm -hmm. So the lighting under cabinet lighting, kitchen lighting, toe kick lighting, crown kick in the cabinet lighting. Mm -hmm. Now there's open up the drawer and it's lit. The oh, lighting, the, the LED has changed the um, 
lighting industry forever. Yeah, it has. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up with the changes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. You have to have a really good conversation with your electrician and, you know, kind of give them an idea of the effect you want and then, you know, learn how to, how you can do different things. Cause it is like, uh, you know, it's like painting. It's another, another pot of paint to dip your brush. And there's warm colors, cool colors, who likes it bright, who likes it dull. What do you don't want it to change the color of your food Uh um, that you're serving? You want it to be, you know, it's so lighting is its own specialty. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We haven't spoken too much yet about the kitchen range hood, a design feature which can help determine the decision of the use of a custom cabinet shop or a semi-custom Uh, cabinet maker, depending on the look that you're going for. What are some of the ways we can incorporate the range hood design into the cabinetry or with the cabinetry? Many cabinet companies offer a variety of hoods in their cabinet line. They will have, um, let's say, you know, three or four different hood styles. So the main thing you want to ask your client is whether they want that metal hood. Do they want Mm -hmm. a contemporary look or are they going for a more transitional built-in kind of hidden look? Mm -hmm. And again, look at how the hoods have changed over the last 10 years with just the the styles of the hoods. Uh, I've even seen now plaster hoods, people having the carcasses made and then having them covered with plaster. Yeah, so a a stucco look, it can be beautiful. A stucco look, yeah. I just did a Venetian plaster surface with a beautiful curve that goes from the furthest out point, you know, curving up into the wall. So many amazing hoods. And it's a matter of, do you want it to be um, freestanding, looking like it's its own chimney style, or do you want it to go integrated all built in, into the cabinetry? So when you're looking at the, the hoods today versus the decorative hoods from years ago, today you're seeing all the tile all the way up the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We yeah. didn't do that years ago. Right. You didn't tile all the way up the wall at, behind the hood mm-hmm. and see all that. But now that's becoming a trend. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's again, the different style of yeah. the hoods. What's really important is to make sure that you're, hood that you specify fits the blower liner on the inside. So you have to kind of coordinate the two. Mm-hmm. You can't just get a hood and expect anybody's blower liner to go in it. Right, you have exactly. to, it's, it's very technical. You have to coordinate the two, mm-hmm. make sure that X, Y, Z fits in ABC yeah. and the, you know, the two will become one. Um, and it, it's really one of the most um, sort of dramatic and creative parts of kitchen design is, is that you know crescendo of of the hood, and it can either reduce in, in importance and be very simple, or it can be you know really very dramatic and um, really a focal point. Really, I've even seen now, which I think is so gorgeous, when they have like a, a sixty inch range, uh-huh. and then they have the whole like maybe eight foot of just the hood, yeah, where mm-hmm. it's a magnificent copper, yeah. amazing hood, and it's a it's a piece of artwork, yeah. Exactly. You know. Yeah, I've done a couple of interesting custom hoods recently that are just gorgeous, you know, sculpt pieces of sculpture and they're functional. So it's a great combination of form and function. I've used just plain cabinetry uh-huh. and crown molding uh-huh. and modifications to turn a cabinet into a hood. 
Mm-hmm. So it would be a one kind, one of a kind piece yep. Yep. because I designed it special for you yep. using the parts and pieces and whatever. And the cabinet manufacturer will assemble it and my contractor will install it. Mm-hmm. And there are companies that just make hoods. They just oh, yes. specialize yep. in nothing but hoods, mm-hmm. different kinds of metal, mm-hmm. different kinds of um, all different kinds of materials. The woods, everything. You've got some major hood companies out there making gorgeous, gorgeous hoods. It's an amazing, it's like a really amazing piece of jewelry. Some with Swarovski crystals. Yeah, that would be lovely. A Swarovski crystal hood. They Um, have it. I bet they do. So also depending on the source of cabinetry, whether it's custom or semi-custom, there are all kinds of specific bells and whistles to choose from. Uh, some for show and some are hidden. What are the specific cabinet boxes and interests uh, that we can get to improve our cabinetry in the kitchen and throughout the house? I'm going to send a few uh, words, keywords out to you. I want to see what your thoughts are. Um, Appliance garages. Appliance garage is where they used to be the accordion top, like that roll top. Yeah, like a desk, an old desk. Yeah, those are gone because they always broke. Mm -hmm. Um, The appliance garage, I'm going to say, is a 50-50 hit or miss. Uh Some people want it, some people don't. Mm -hmm. If I do it, I usually do it with doors. I don't, you know, I'll Mm -hmm. maybe do two doors that pocket in or... I've done them where they flip up and pocket above. Pocket above. Yep. So you can get a wider cabinet. And it's where people don't want to see a certain amount of their their stuff on the countertops, like the blender or a mixer or things like that. So it has to be sized for those appliances. And um, if I do them, and it's somewhat rare these days, but if we do it, it, they usually have electrical outlets in them and they can be used in place a lot of the time. You have to be really careful of that electric out, outlet inside that cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, some municipalities won't allow that. Oh, yeah. We, I haven't had a problem doing it, but it has to be, you know, the right, the right spacing and combination. Um, so are you finding anyone's asking for uh, garage appliance garages? Not as much anymore. Yeah, me too. Which Not is as a fine much. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People like really the wide open counter space. And actually a lot of people now are keeping small appliances in a pullout pantry or a pullout drawer where they're easy to access and, um, and not out on the cabinets. Um, so now what about solutions for hidden corners? There's of course the lazy Susan, but there are also a lot of other blind corner pullouts and half Susans and things like that. What are you using? I am not a fan of the corner. like the corner shouldn't exist but Uh, what do we do with it okay here comes technical allison (laughs) we love her we love her a corner lazy susan takes up 36 inches on one side and 36 inches on another Uh uh-huh and then it has a little 18 inch door opening and maybe a 24 inch shelf that goes round and round on the inside uh-huh. So it depends on how that corner cabinet affects all my other cabinets. Right. It's more important for me to have a cabinet where I open up the door and have two rollouts than uh-huh. it is for me to have that corner cabinet that has no upper draw uh-huh. and has two 24 inch 
things that turn around and around and around. Or it's one of those crazy corner pieces that pulls in and out and comes around and it's a half a moon and it pulls out and everybody's like, oh, it's so exciting. And I'm like, yeah, that's three thousand dollars. (laughs) So when it comes to that corner cabinet, I have to have a customer that loves and has to have that corner cabinet because a lot of times what I do is I call it kill the corner. Oh, really? Kill the corner. And Uh because even if you have that lazy suit, a lazy Susan goes around and around. What if something falls off of that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Even if you have a shelf, you got to get in there, take everything off and try and get to the back of the cabinet to get the stuff that fell. The same thing with that easy reach thing that goes in and out. When you really look at the size of the shelves, like let's look at how much square storage space am I really getting? Mm -hmm. It's not the best cabinet and it is very costly. Although some people want to have it and they have to have it. If you have to have, my client wants it, they have to have it. I don't care. I want it. I love it. I love it. I'll give it to you. Yeah. yeah. But me, I'm not a fan of the corner cabinet. Interesting. I'm not a fan. I'm not as much a fan of the blind corner pullouts, you know, which are sort of like erector set pieces um, because of that falling off thing for sure. Um, But I am a fan of the lazy Susan, but I do always talk to my client about what they're going to use it for. You don't want to use it for a lot of small things. Um, You, I use it, I, you know, people who bake, it's a great thing for bigger containers of your sugars and your flowers and things like that, that aren't going to fall off and going to stay acred as well as bowls. And, um, and sometimes now there are a lot of um, dividers that you can get, you know, um, uh, ready-made that fit into the lazy Susan. So you can put in um, uh, a divider that's going to hold, you know, certain categories of things like Tupperware, lightweight things that are, you know, if they're in something that's going to stay on them, but, uh, but interesting. Yeah. So that's two different kitchen designer philosophies on the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's really, again, it's, it's individual needs, but talking about how you're going to use it, if you're going to use it. Um, now I haven't put this in a kitchen in about 10 years, plate racks. Is anyone, are you doing any of those sort of decorative standing plate racks? I've probably done them three times in my career. Uh-huh. And I remember the most interesting one was because their grandmother lived with them and it was easier to empty the dishwasher and Uh just put those dishes in that rack Yeah, was of the position I put it in was more a countertop level or Mm -hmm. more like not quite up as high. So it was easier access to put the plates away. Uh And that was definitely because of grandma was there Uh uh and that was easier for her. Yeah. And, but other than that, I've only done them a few times. Mm -hmm. I think if people get into the, into the, um, really how, why is there that plate rack? What was that meant for? Why do we have it? Uh It was meant to dry plates. It was over the sink. It was open on the bottom and Uh you put your dishes in there to dry. So therein lies the uh, origin of the plate rack. Uh So unless someone's going to do that traditional um, old fashioned style retro kitchen that understands that's what a plate rack is for. Uh Uh-huh. It's, it's not as popular. It's definitely not been a popular 
at least here in the Northeast. Uh-huh. Here too. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's um, the only times I've done it are where we were really trying uh, to get that country kitchen look. And, and if you have beautiful things to show, you know, if you have, you know, some really beautiful plateware and you want that to be a part of the decoration of your kitchen. And, and what about um, speaking of, you know, of the function and the ease of function, um, it's a bit of a trend now to design in open shelves instead of a cabinet box, maybe to the right and left of the range or to the right and left of the sink or somewhere specific. How, what are your feelings about uh, open shelf storage? I don't, again, I could be totally wrong with this, Jana. I could be completely off with what I say. Uh But I say uh, when the economy was getting hard, the upper cabinets went away Uh because it costs a lot of money. Uh Uh I got crown molding. I got light rail. I got installation. So you started coming with let's just put shelves, less Mm -hmm. money. It doesn't cost as much. You'll see everything on the bottom and upper shelves. Mm-hmm. I think it's silly. I yeah. think it's, we've always had some sort of open shelving and decoration in a uh-huh. kitchen. A lot of times maybe it would be behind closed glass doors right. or something like that. But in all in all technicality, the, the upper cabinets are storage. Mm-hmm. And what can you really store on these shelves, you know? So I think that they look pretty and they're a trend, that floating shelf. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily believe it it belongs that much in the kitchen. But that's what people do. So, yeah, I think for me, it depends a a little bit on what the air. I I think that all the origins, I think you're right on about. But I think what happens is it goes from being um, an economical thing into a bit of a fashion thing, which will come in and out of fashion. Right. And I also think it depends a lot on the air quality of where you live. And even though, you know, we have doors and windows, um, if I had open cabinets in my kitchen, I would be washing everything on them a lot because I live in California. um, And, you know, sometimes there are fires with smoke in the air and sometimes there's a lot of wind with dust in the air. So I think it really, you have to really think about, whether they're truly decorative or whether they're in a place where it's prime real estate for emptying your dishwasher, you want to be able to reach and put away important things. And, you know, and is that what you want? Do you you want the concern of having them not be really clean? I think it's also a minimal, if someone is a minimalist Mm -hmm. and they like, don't like a lot of stuff Uh then, and they don't have a lot of stuff. Right having an open shelf limits what you can actually have. Yeah, it's true. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's really a style choice in a lot of different ways. Lifestyle choice. Yeah. Lifestyle choice, style, uh, Mm -hmm. also um, practicality. I mean, for me, like I'm not, I'm, I'm messy Mm -hmm. and I like, I like different, I don't have things that match. Like I have all, I love bowls. So I have a bunch of different colored bowls. I like plates. I have like three different sets of plates because Uh they're not even full sets. It could be like four of this, six of that, three of that. It's just what I like to do. And that could look really terrible on Mm -hmm. a display. (laughs) All right. And now what about, um, 
drawer inserts. So there are silverware divider, utensil dividers, spice spice racks inside and um, charging drawers. I'm doing a lot of charging drawers. So you can uh, plug in some of your stuff and hide it in the drawer. Which I love. That's the docking drawer. They came yeah. out with that. I remember seeing that at KBiz like 10 years ago or more. And um, I love it. I think it's a fabulous Yeah, we um, have one. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And they've even been using that docking drawer in things like an, uh, your vanity uh-huh. for your blow dryer right. yeah. and things yeah. like that, which are just mm-hmm. really fabulous. I think that those inserts are um, lifesavers mm-hmm. and organizers and worth every penny. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things that would be a bonus and other ones that I think are a necessity. Mm-hmm. Having a cutlery divider built in from the cabinet company mm-hmm. is a much better cutlery divider. It's going to fit better. It's going to give you all the storage you need because it's 100% made for that draw mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to retrofit something afterwards. Mm-hmm. I love rollouts. I think every cabinet on the bottom should have a rollout. Yeah. And if you can't afford two rollouts, get at least one on the bottom, the bottom. shelf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the, if you have very expensive knives, which some people are, are, you know, chefs and really yeah. culinary skills, you will have that knife block that goes Mm -hmm. in the drawer, which keeps everything nice and clean. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the drawer dividers front to back and side to side when it comes to putting in your utensils, like Mm -hmm. spatulas and long spoons and Mm -hmm. um, stirring, you know, things like that to organize your drawers um, for next to the stove left and right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I like, I personally like the um, pull-out spice on the yeah. bottom yeah. next huh. to the stove yeah. or somewhere where, where you can fit your, like your olive oils right. and all of your different things on a pull-out as opposed to in a wall cabinet where I kind mm-hmm. of have to dig. Um, and I also like canned or spices on the door. I like a door spice. Mm-hmm. rack. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I really like. And I love a tray divider Yeah, mm-hmm. and a tray divider that pulls out uh-huh. is super, super yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I often use uh, more than one in the kitchen. One is for cooking sheets and drying racks and things. And the other um, is for serving platters and trays. Yeah, I really, I try and incorporate certain things when I'm doing my kitchen. Also, I like to incorporate drawers. If you can't have an insert, having drawers is another way of having um, options for storage. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of having just a base cabinet with two rollouts, you can have a three drawer base, which Mm -hmm. has two deep drawers. I think is, I I almost exclusively now I'm doing drawers under the countertop on the base cabinets wherever possible and very popular it's and it's so functional I mean I have that for my in my house and I just keep you know there's pots and pans drawer there's all the dishes go in one drawer all glassware goes instead of being I don't have a lot of uppers so you know it really makes a lot of sense Um, now there are some specific storage items in the kitchen that are always a challenge I wonder what your favorite solutions are for pots and pan lids Oy vey. <laughs> exactly. 
I think that those cabinets, I, first of all, I know I would never take the time and put my freaking lids in that little organizer like that. I like to <laughs> throw stuff in, uh -huh. throw it in and close the drawer. <laughs> so um, again, it goes by personality. And I look at that and go, mm, that's a bunch of money. Am I really going to use that? Uh -huh. <laughs> I've been doing this too long because everything has a dollar sign on it to me. <laughs> well, I have... Um I have an aftermarket um, piece, which uh, is like is like your um, tray rack, but it's for utensil uh, for lids has an angle, and uh, and I keep that in my deepest bottom drawer, and I slide them into that, and I and I do it because it's not hard, right? Um, and then, but a lot of times I'll use that um, the thinnest drawer, like the six inch drawer that's underneath a cooktop, if it's not with a range, or I'll designate a six inch you know deep drawer for them to just float in there so that it's really easy to grab them. Oh, the lids. Yeah. Yeah. The lids. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest mm -hmm. challenge for me. Um, and then Tupperware and plastic containers. Anything? I have a whole entire Ideas? drawer. I have a drawer dedicated to that. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I, th I have um, in kitchens I've designed, I've, I've put them into the corner um, lazy Susan, things like, you know, places like that. But uh, yeah, I, we have a whole 14 inch deep, 32 inch wide drawer and it still isn't enough. Allison and I have so much to talk about that we simply cannot fit it into the episode as planned. We are ending this show with the conundrum of storing Tupperware and takeout containers. We would love to hear about your success with putting away your food storage containers, as well as thoughts and ideas for our show. You can always reach us through our website, www from disastertodreamhome.com. You can listen to all our past episodes on the website or through the podcast network of your choice. Thank you for joining us on this episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. Each week, we bring you time-tested practices and the latest trends through conversations with top professionals in the building industry. You can find other episodes of From Disaster to Dream Home at EWNPodcastNetwork.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and most other major podcast streaming services. Need design help? You can contact us or find out more about our guests at From Disaster to Dream Home Com. Until next time, let us guide and inspire you as you create the home of your dreams. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. 
It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers, eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.